0: Helps Ministry Lesson 2. This is biblical examples of helps ministry. Just because we have one word of it in the New Testament doesn't mean we make a doctrine out of it unless we can find it established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, as you can see, this is two and a half pages, so I think we can establish it by more than the mouth of two or three witnesses. We can find it in the Old and New Testament. We can find it in the Old Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles. So we have very much established this uh, concept of the ministry of helps. So our curriculum says here, helps is work. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. But what else are you going to do with your time? What else are you going to do with your energy? You can only have so many hobbies. And even I've got hobbies, but I even get bored of hobbies. I love hockey. I get bored of hockey. I love rock climbing or, 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 or caving. I get bored with that. I love deer hunting, but you know the fact that they make the season short is wonderful because then it dries up your your satiation and you getting to want it now that the weather's cooling off i'm appreciating getting to deer hunt more i i'm excited about it no matter what you do it takes work so it should be no different that than the ministry of helps takes w-o-r-k if you're not working you ain't helping prayer you can be laid on your back and in invalid and you can be working praying in the spirit praying in english you may not be able to get out and evangelize but you can mail out gospel tracts Uh, You can pick up the phone book if they still make those anymore and you can just go down the phone list and just call people and witness to them. There's always a work that can be done. Below is a list of biblical examples of people participating in the ministry of helping God's leaders. The kingdom of God needs your help and you have an important role to play. By some of these, we have an asterisk and that asterisk indicates that the individual we're looking at is promoted into future leadership. And so we can see a very common pattern repeat and present itself that so many of these ministers of helps, the ministry of helps was their training ground for the very thing God called them to do, which is such a cool thing to study if you have time. Eve to Adam, the very first ministry of helps was Eve to Adam. Actually, I should probably reverse these first two. It's really Adam in the garden helping God. He's in the garden and he's tending God's garden. That is a giant allegory for what we do today. The ministry of helps is tending God's garden called the kingdom. He had a garden then because the whole earth was his. Now he's got a kingdom and he's wanting fruit out of our life. But we see Eve to Adam. God declared that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helper. A helpmeet as the King James calls it. A helper suitable to help him. A helper comparable to him. So the very first ministry of helps we see in the Bible is the wife. And if you're not a help to your husband, you may not qualify for the title of wife. I love my pastor, Dr. Barclay. He has, through his preaching, he has turned husband into a verb. And he has turned wife into a verb. Traditionally, it's not. You won't find that in any dictionary. But you catch the heart of it. When you get married, you have to husband your wife. And you have to wife your husband. And if you're not doing either one of those, you're not one. You're just married with a piece of paper living in the same house together. So how do we learn to husband our wives? We study the Bible. How do we wife our husbands? We study the Bible. And the, the word teaches us what God looks for out of a wife who's wifing and a husband who's husbanding. That's maybe why the proper British didn't come make it a verb. Like, that's just too difficult. <laughs> Adam and Eve in the garden. Here's our next example of helps. It was God's garden, and he put a man and the woman, and woman in the garden to dress it and keep it. Why didn't the Lord do it? Because he wanted them to learn something about him By working with them Goes back to our word antelipsis He wanted them to receive from him He wanted a fellowship with him He wanted the excitement Of, of Adam looking at a porcupine And the Lord saying now Adam what are you going to call that I don't know I got nothing no, no frame of reference it's, it's like a beaver Which we just named a couple of days ago But it's spiky everywhere I don't know What do you think it's up to you Um Porcupine, spike. Sp- spiky spine. No, that doesn't sound right. Porcupine. Don't you know that Adam learned stuff about God, fellowshipping with him in the cool of the day, naming things? That's why we're in ministry helps, so we can learn things about him by working with him. You know, when you're back there with toddlers and pastor can't tell you what to do, you got to cry out to God. I really, there's a couple folks back there that are watching our kids for four hours today. I was thinking this morning, getting ready, like, Lord, bless them. I wouldn't want to do it. That's some brave. Those are some faithful people. They got more faith than I do. I, I, I barely have faith for my two kids, much less the church's kids in one big room, controlled chaos. Lord, bless those families back there richly. Give them a car or something. Die, desire their heart. there got to be a special reward. So we see Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the ministry of helps. Tending and keeping God's garden. And they dropped the ball, didn't they? And they let a snake in. And and they got judged for it. When when you drop the ball in your ministry, sometimes you get punished. Sometimes you get your garden taken from you. And you get to go do something less pleasant, like till, sweat, and pain pain in your labor. Next example is Joseph in prison. We have an asterisk there because Joseph gets promoted. Joseph was set over all the inner workings of the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The Bible tells us that Joseph was so faithful, the prison keeper didn't even bother to inspect his work. Now, what's amazing, and I just recently saw this, I've studied Joseph many, many times, but within the last month, I was looking at it again, and I noticed for the first time that the Bible tells us specifically that that prison belonged to Potiphar. That was Potiphar's, he was set over the prison. He was the captain of the host, but it was the captain of the host's prison. It's Potiphar's prison. No wonder, Potiphar said, Joseph, I'm sorry you're here. I know how my wife is, but you know, but you were so good at my house. You mind to run the prison? Okay. Ministry helps. Favor. And he kept a good attitude. And see, he learned how to administrate a home which is probably a pretty nice home if he's, the, if he's the general, the military general, Potiphar. But then he gets a promotion, even though it's maybe a step down. But you know, if he's running the prison, he's not down in the feces in the bottom rank. You know, he's probably getting his pick of the food. So it's probably not as bad as it could be, but it's still prison. But he gets to expand his horizons and his administrative ability. So he goes from handling a household of maybe a few hundred to, I don't know, how many folks do you think might have been in Pharaoh's prison? Thousands? Who, who knows? Is We're talking 4,000 years ago. Probably pretty vicious, probably a lot of folks. Preparation. Kept a good heart, and he was so good at it, he needed no inspection. Amen. Aaron to Moses. We're about to hit a run of about six or seven of Moses' help. Moses had lost his fluency in the language of the Egyptians. He'd been away from them for 40 years. And out of fear, he desired a translator. And Aaron became his spokesman. Now, I grew up Baptist, and I always point out that I was taught that Moses had a stuttering, a speech impediment, which it kind of feels that way from the King James, but you study it in the Hebrew, and it doesn't say he has a speech impediment. It said, I'm slow with the language. And I realized if I I took Japanese in college, I can still read it. I can still write it. I can still understand it. I can't speak it like I used to could because I haven't done it in 20 years. I figure you're away from Egyptian whatever language they spoke for 40 years and you're not using it anymore because you're you're married to a Midianitis and your father's a Midianite you're probably speaking their dialect and you just you just don't speak it anymore so what the Greek excuse me the Hebrew says is I'm slow with the language how can I speak and the Lord says did I not make the seeing eye did I not make the hearing ear I'll put the words in your mouth no and and the Lord finally this fine look here's Aaron now How does Aaron just happen to be coming now? All the way from Egypt to find his brother on a random mountain in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) Just the divine hand of God. He'll be your spokesperson. And that's what he was his entire life. He was an interpreter. That's the ministry of helps. If you ever taken a mission trip, you know how much you need the mission of helps, ministry of helps, the, the, the interpreter. They are so critical. So Moses needed an interpreter to get God's will done in Egypt. Then you had Joshua to Moses. Joshua was Moses' military leader and his servant. You find out that Joshua was a general. He's the one that fought the battle that Aaron and Hur had to hold Moses' hands at. And this was great training for the day ahead when Joshua would lead Israel in battle after battle to take the promised land. Joshua's, uh, his ministry, His leadership was defined by taking city after city, beginning with Jericho, followed by AI, going on to the 10 cities. Where do you think he learned military strategy? In the ministry of helps. God ends up putting you in that very place you need to be to get the skill set you need to do what God's called you to do. And if you pick and choose where you go, you'll never pick the right one because you're not smart enough. Amen. We have an asterisk by Aaron, though, because he gets promoted to be high priest, faithful to interpret becomes high priest We have an asterisk by Joshua Faithful to serve and pour water on the hands of Moses Faithful to put his life at risk You know Moses why do you get to stand on the hilltop Let me stand up there He's down in the valley killing everybody He becomes the next leader Then we go on to Aaron and Hur This is a very famous example of ministry helps Because they held his hands up when his arms were tired When Moses was tired The Bible says in this battle And his arms began to fall Israel lost but when he'd lift his hands up, Israel would prevail. And so Aaron and her noticed this, this pattern. Wouldn't to God all the saints in the church were observant enough to see what's going on? You know, when pastors like this, the church suffers. Why is pastor like this? What can we do to make sure he never gets like this? They didn't rebuke Moses and say, what's wrong, weak arms? They said, uh, here, let's hold your arms up. Let's stack some stones so you can sit down and and then we'll just hold your arms up until it... How long is it going to take? I don't know, but we don't have any options here. Just make it work. And they became a help and a relief, and they secured him. They bore a burden, and, and Israel won because of that. Then you have my favorite out of this example is Moses' handymen. Two men are named specifically, Bezaliel and Aholiab. This is when Moses got the vision to build the tabernacle. And this is how it works in the kingdom. The leader gets the vision, and somebody else does the work. That's the kingdom. Now, the burden's on us. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. He comes back and says, all right, I got a vision. You're building it. Why does it always work this way? Because God said so. (laughs) If you have a right heart, you say, praise God, let me be the one to build it. This will be exciting. Two men are named, Bezaliel and Aholiab, and God filled them, not Moses, God filled them with the Holy Spirit in wisdom and knowledge to build the tabernacle. Notice they got something Moses never got. They got to receive something. They took the yoke upon them, and they got to learn something they would have never learned just by volunteering, just by making themselves available. And God gave Moses the plans and directions, but God equipped other men to make it happen. Same with the local church. I get the vision, and God anoints somebody else to do it. That's how it works. And now I get judged if it doesn't come to pass. So I have to stay on top of it and I bear the burden of it, but you get the chance to grow. You get the chance to be promoted. You get the chance to learn something nobody else has ever learned before. Which is really cool, but it is work. Then you had Moses' judges. Moses was he was a judge, which meant he basically sat in a seat of counsel or a seat of judgment and people had problems. You got a million and a half, two million Jews, Israelites in the wilderness. They got a lot of money, and they've come out of pagan idolatry for 430 years. You gonna have a problem on your hands, and you got them living on top of each other in what would look like a refugee camp. And we've all seen pictures of refugee camps, just tent, 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 tent. Where does the waste go? Where does the food come from? You're, you're going to have some tension, so there's no doubt He was having to sit all day, every day, and hear cases so God didn't have to kill people. And I've always envisioned it. You find him, and there's this massively long line that goes off into the sunset, and there's people who have a case. They have a bone to pick. They're not going to kill each other because they've seen God just kill a whole army, so they got some fear working in their life, so they're going to try to do it respectfully. But Jethro goes out to look for his son-in-law, Moses, and I kind of envision it. He finds this long line going through the desert you know, for miles, excuse me, I'm looking for Moses, yeah, get in line, buddy, so is the rest of us, would you know where he is, he's at the front of this line, so Jethro comes walking and he sees that this is a line of judgment, civil disputes, this guy's goat kicked my goat in the head and killed my goat, I need retribution, this guy's goat kicked my kid in the head, I need retribution, you know, or whatever, this guy slept with my wife, I need judgment, And so Jethro gets to the front of the line and the first thing he tells Moses is, this thing that you do is not good, bearing the burden of the people like this, having the council people all day long. You will surely wear away, you and the people. So he says, pick out 120 judges, 10 from each of the 12 tribes, they shall bear the burden with thee. Notice there's a ministry of helps there working together, bearing a burden with thee. Ten judges per each tribe. So you, this is actually where we get the U.S. Constitution from, a distribution of power. Amen. It's a distribution of power so that nobody is just one singular judge, but it's distributed to the upper courts, the lower courts, the lower circuit courts, etc. And And Jethro says, you'll only hear the severe cases, the extreme ones. Everything else, let them deal with the, these 120 men helped Moses care for the people so that he and the people wouldn't wear out. You know, if you had to wait in line for five days next to your accuser, you'd be worn out. Amen. Moses had 70 elders. Then it came time for food distribution. And, and they begged for meat, for quail. And, and they were belly aching so much. This is like bellyache number 342 in the first 12 chapters of um, Numbers. And, the Lord, and Moses says, Lord, if you love me, kill me. And the Lord says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to make you pick out 70 elders. They're going to help you. Your problem is you're exhausted. You need more help. And so Moses complained about the burden of the people. So God anointed 70 men with the same spirit that was upon Moses to help him bear the burden. So 120 judges to judge the infractions of the law and to make disputes. And then 70 elders that helped lead. These 70 elders became the elders of Israel and they became what eventually evolved into the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in the times of Jesus was the 70 national leaders of Israel plus one, the high priest. He was kind of like the arbiter on the Sanhedrin. These guys were still around in the days of Jesus but it was birthed here to help bear the, the, the ruling of the people. And if you understand that about the Sanhedrin, you understand that Jesus Christ rebuked politics every day. He was always dealing, when the Bible talks about the Pharisees and the elders in the Gospels, and the elders came to Jesus, it's talking about the 70, the Sanhedrin. These are the political leaders of his day. He's wearing them out, rebuking them. But Moses needed help leading these people, so God anointed 70 men with the same measure of the Spirit that was on Moses. This was a different measure that was on Aaron. This is a different measure that was on Joshua. This was a different anointing that was on uh, the two handymen, Bezaliel and Aholiap. This is something totally different. They wouldn't have gotten it any other way. And that's why it's so critical. You get to work. You'll get a measure of the Spirit of God and an anointing nobody else has, but it's just as necessary. Because you're that critical, you're that unique, you're that important, God has a cool thing to show you that he'll never show me. And in that regard, you have something I need. It's not just you need the pastor but you have something the local church needs. Now stop here and look at this. Let's go back up to Aaron. Aaron, Joshua, Aaron and Her, Moses, Moses' judges, Moses' elders. There's seven examples of helps just to help Moses. This is the most meek man that ever lived. This is a man that talked with God face to face, and he needed seven examples of helps to do what he's called to do. This is the local church. The man had the vision. The man heard from God face to face. And yet it still took hundreds of people to make it happen. Amen. Anybody know any of the names of any of the elders? Any of the names of any of the judges? But they were critical and they were anointed by God. Amen. David to Saul, moving along here. Hopefully we're seeing the pattern that God's men need help. An asterisk by David's name because he gets promoted. After Saul's fall, after he rebelled, David became Saul's armor-bearer and his comforter, playing the harp for him when he was troubled by evil spirits. That lets us know the musicians are ministry of helps. They have the ability to manifest the anointing and drive out evil spirits, sickness, disease, depression, oppression, suicide. It's critical as long as the musician doesn't get goofy. And here the musician didn't get goofy, but sometimes maybe he hit a wrong chord and Saul get mad and throw a javelin at him. I've chewed our worship team out countless times, but I've never thrown javelins. But there's always a first. Amen. He carried his armor for him. So he was a right-hand man, a servant, and he loved Saul. This wasn't just a, a once time situation. This was, a, this was a, a season of life that he served Saul because he loved him. This wasn't just a brief encounter uh, that, that you may, some may f- speculate because David knew Saul and Saul knew David. They were dear to each other. Saul gave David his own daughter to wife, Michael. David knew Saul by name. Saul knew David by name. They knew each other's voices. So this wasn't just, I one time carried your armor and one time played the harp and I'll never see you again. This was an, inter- an intense internship that allowed David to develop such a heart for Saul. He loved him even though the man became wicked and demonized. You don't develop that in a weekend encounter. you develop that over years. Then you have Jonathan's armor bear, another famous example. and an armor bear was one who accompanied his master into battle, carrying the armor and weaponry so that the master would not be exhausted upon his r- arrival. Think about the Knights of the Round Table and all that heavy armor. That's not the same as this, but you can imagine the weight. So your armor bear is usually a teenage boy you know starting to develop muscles and he'd carry the sh- the, the shield and the sword. And the leather breastplate, because we're talking uh, early Bronze Age here. And then you have a helmet. And that way, the master gets to the battlefield, and he's refreshed. So the kid takes all of it off, gives it to his master. Now the kid's weaponless, exhausted, and shivering. So you kind of go through these a lot. You burn through them, because who's going to die first in battle? The armor bearer, because he's got no way to defend himself. In this story, the two of them, David and his armor bearer, get separated from their platoon and they come upon a garrison of the Philistines. And Jonathan has this brilliant idea. Who's to say whether the Lord will save by few or save by many? What do you think? And the armor bearer says this. My heart is with you. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. And because of that unity, they won. Saul, or Jonathan moved. And the Lord caused a confusion to come upon the, the garrison of the Philistines. And they fled and attacked each other. And the Lord delivered a great victory into one man and his little armor bearer. Jonathan's armor-bearer carried two, two things, and this is what we've got to catch. He carried his master's weaponry and his master's vision. You've got to catch your boss's vision. You've got to catch your husband's vision. You've got to catch your parents' vision. Catch your pastor's vision. You can have the greatest skill set in the world, but if you don't share the vision, it's a useless skill set. Do all that is in thy heart, the armor-bearer said. We don't even know his name. I am with thee according to thy heart. This this support led to a miraculous victory. The only other option is disunity and strife, and that'll never bring any kind of victory. And again, the armor bearer realizes if I say yes, I'm naked and shivering, but I'm here to help, whatever you want to do. David's mighty men. We know that these mighty men were selected from 400, so only one-tenth of the 400 that gathered to him actually qualified to be like the Navy SEALs of David's day which is probably about equivalent today, maybe perhaps only one-tenth of those called fulfilled their calling. But these mighty men, now this is David, very, very wise man. God's hand, the greatest king, David, uh, greatest king Israel ever had. But these mighty men were required. They conquered cities for David. They killed David's enemies. They built cities. You study the Bible, you'll find that they built cities. They weren't just good with spears and javelins and swords. They were good architects. They were good city managers. He would send them out and they'd go build a city for him. How long does that take? A couple years. David ruled for 40 years. One guy might have proved himself on the battlefield and then spend the next 10 years building a city for David. Recently in the news, they just uncovered one of David's treasure cities in southern Israel. It was a big deal. They said, oh, look, uh, the inscription tells us that there was a King David. All right, yeah, okay, Thomas, <laughs> Doubt all you want. They helped run the kingdom, and they even fetched David some water simply because he asked for it. They risked their lives because they overheard him saying, boy, I wish I could get some of my hometown water. Hometown water is important. Everywhere you go, water is different, even in municipal water. And uh, when you're not used to the water where you're at, you kind of wish for some of the water back home. Water all over the country has different qualities of calcium, magnesium, iron, you got hard water, soft water, bottled water, you got tap water, you got well water, water that gives you the runs and water that runs you out. So you can imagine David said, man, I wish I had some home, where he was growing, David of Bethlehem, I wish I had some of the water that I grew up drinking. And these guys said, if that refreshes him, let's go get it. And they risked their life because the Philistines had, we're guarding that well. Move on to Solomon's governments. Solomon was the wisest man ever, but look at how much help he needs. Wisdom told him that he needed 11 officials helping him to run his administration, and he had 12 governors ruling over the kingdom under him. His 11 officials are what we would call secretaries or undersecretaries, Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of the Priests, Secretary of Homeland Security. This is the equivalent of what we understand as Americans as a secretary. So he had 11 secretaries under him, and then 12 governors, one over each of the 12 tribes. This for the wisest man ever. And because of this, the Bible says, and Judah and Israel dwelt safely and confidently all the days of Solomon. When a local church has its governments and its offices set up, the church will dwell safely and confidently. When, when visitors come in and they see how well our children's church is run, and they see a security checkpoint, and they see folks that are dressed sharp and that know what they're doing, and they're sweet and they're kind, visitors don't have a problem dumping their kid off. Because they can say, wow, they take care of stuff around here. They can dwell safely and confidently. But you know, you get to some churches and there's nobody working the kid's station and kids are running back and forth and half the kids are on fire and one kid naked and running down the hallway streaking. You're like, um, stay close, son. Stay close. You got your coloring book with you? We want a big people service. <laughs> yeah, when you get governments in place and you get helps in place, the church can grow confidently and safely. It makes people just feel good. I mean, you should know that we have people that carry pistols in services. It's just the day we live in. I, I Honestly, I want to get a beanbag shotgun and put it under biometric security log because, I mean, even if you miss, you're not going to kill a church member. You may bruise them pretty good and go, whoa, I felt God move with a <laughs> mighty force. Whoo! That wasn't God. That was the beanbag anti-riot gun. We do that to keep you safe around here. We have security. We even had our neighbors, the businesses down here, uh, thank us that we have parking lot security when they come out at night because it makes them feel safe When you don't have the ministry of helps Anything goes But it takes work <laughs> Amen We got to make sure we're helping Solomon had a workforce just like uh, Moses did Solomon's workforce was a little bigger He had 188,300 laborers working On the temple That's the population of Knoxville, Tennessee Actually, it's more. Knoxville's about 175, county's about 350. 188,300 laborers, the Bible tells us specifically. And that has 30,000 lumberjacks. 30,000 is about the population of Cookville. 30,000 lumberjacks. 70,000 general laborers. That's bucket carriers, shovelers, linesmen, surveyors, etc. 80,000 stone cutters or stone masons and 3,300 managers. You have to redistribute your authority to manage this thing. All of this, all of these workers were used to build the temple that God would then mightily manifest in. And whose temple was it called? Solomon's. Who built it? 188,000 other people. We did the math. What was the math? We, we estimated 2,000 hours of work year times seven years times 188,300 men is in the billions of man hours. Three and a half billion man hours to build the temple Three and a half billion man hours We spent 15,000 15,000 man hours on our kids wing They spent three point something Billion man hours On this temple and one guy's name was on it Next to God Solomon <laughs> His ministry helps and honestly it wasn't even his vision It was David's vision David got the blueprint in the spirit Chronicles tells us then he handed the, the paper I guess he probably drew it out Handed it to Solomon and said your turn Finish it. 188,000. All of this for seven years, just so that they could blow the trumpet one, one Sabbath, one Saturday, and God's presence moved from Shiloh, which was on the next hill over. Shiloh was David's house. That's where he set up Moses' tabernacle. That's where they worshiped until this thing was finished. And the glory of God went up, moved over the hill, and came down and filled the temple. And they could not stand to reap for reason uh, of the power of God. Amazing. Solomon's workforce. Wisest man ever and what'd he do? The wisest man ever got help. (laughs) He didn't do it himself. Elisha to Elijah, we gotta keep moving here. Asterisk there because Elisha gets promoted. Elisha left all he knew to become a servant. You notice he didn't have to anybody chase him. This is one of the things that frustrates me as a pastor, chasing people that claim they're called. That bugs me. If you're really called, put your butt in gear and get after it, otherwise shut up. We see an example here, I'm gonna demonstrate it. The Bible says Elijah comes walking through the field and here's Elisha working. he's a hard worker and he just takes his cloak off and he just throws it on the guy and just keeps walking and he instantly knew what he was supposed to do. I'm supposed to follow you. He said, sir, I'm gonna follow you. Let me go tell my parents goodbye and Elijah said, what is that to me? Sounds like Jesus a thousand years later. What's that to me? So he said, let me offer a sacrifice, tell my parents goodbye, I'll be with you. What is that to me? Elijah did not have to keep chasing him, harassing him, calling him, provoking him. Are you you studying the word? Are you making the sacrifice? You know you're called. He was ready just to walk on, either it's God or it ain't. Either you're called or you're not. Put up or shut up. So what what did Elijah, Elisha was leaving a plantation. He was a wealthy man. He was overseeing 12 yoke of oxen. That's a lot of oxen. That, 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 that describes tremendous wealth. And it was his parents' plantation, and he was the 12th. So he's in the line behind. He's, he's basically overseeing all the other yoke of oxen. And he gives all that up to go be a servant, knowing that for his whole life he'd been taken care of by slaves. But now he gets to go be one to fulfill the great calling. So he butchers his oxen as a sign I'm not coming back. And he burns the instruments of plowing, and he makes a burn offering to the Lord. The burn offering on the Old Testament always represents a consecration, a dedication to God. And he goes on to become Elisha's servant. He was faithful to the very end and would not leave his leader. Remember Elisha said uh, in 2 Kings, I, I'm leaving now, stay here. He said, as the Lord liveth, as thou liveth, I will not leave thee. Three times he tried to get him to leave him. He didn't have to. He wasn't going to leave him. He stayed with him. He was faithful to the very end and would not leave his leader. I can't even get some folks to come be with the leader. Amen. <laughs> I, I get to thinking about the little booger on the finger. You just, you just can't get rid of some people. But, you know, some people claim they're called and you can't seem to get them on your finger. <laughs> I'm going picking for you. Many are called, but few are picked, you know. <laughs> yeah, I got kids. Of course I went there. <laughs> yeah, boogers everywhere. Like what? I got a booger on my shoulder. How did that booger get on my shoulder? Oh, I got two kids. That's how I got the booger on my shoulder. <laughs> the world knew him, and the king referred to him as the king in, in 2 Kings 3. He said, tell me about the man that poured water on the hands of Elijah. But well, we know him as the prophet that worked twice as many miracles as Elijah. The world knew him as a servant, but the Bible records him as the greater miracle worker. All because the ministry of helps. Twelve disciples to Jesus. Asterisk there because all of them except for Judas went to on to promotion. Judas went to hell. Which means you can ruin ministry of helps for yourself. The disciples just didn't sit and learn all day, which is sometimes what we think about. But if you'll study the Bible and if you'll remember from your Bible studies, they were involved in preparing meetings. They fed multitudes. Remember Jesus said, sit them down in companies of 50s and 100s. They prepared dinners. They received offerings. They ran security. They, they were the ushering, the, 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 the chauffeur. They, it was always their boat they were hopping in. So they were chauffeurs too. That's ministry helps. They prayed with Jesus. Sometimes ministry helps is, I need somebody to pray with. Come up here and pray with me for a couple hours. I, I, I got, I'm busy. All right, fine. I won't ask you again. Ah, See, some folks just have so many excuses. They fetched transportation. They managed the money. Not very well, mind you, but they did did try to manage the money. They mismanaged it, and they served the poor. And all of this was training for the kingdom. Now, we were just at Pastor Luke's the other night, and I, I pointed out, actually, he called it out, I was looking at other examples, that zero to 60 miles an hour, From salty fisherman to full-time apostle was only three and a half years. Take a backslidden Jew named Peter and you put him through the ministry of helps and you make an apostle out of him in three and a half years. Now we see the same pattern in uh, in Acts. Paul went to Lystra. Two years later, he comes through. There's a new convert there named Timothy. The whole town says, this guy's ready to take a mission trip. Two years, been saved two years. He's ready to become Timothy. Same thing with a Corinthian church. Paul's there, leaves there to go on to the Ephesian church. He writes an epistle back three years later. He says that I left you, and when the time has come that you should be spiritual, you're not. You're carnal babes. He'd only been gone three years. He was expecting them to be mature saints in three years. So you see this seems to be a general rule of thumb. Zero to full-time ministry or zero to maturity in Christ to where you're no longer a babe or faithless child in Christ should take two to four years, if you want it. Or you can just keep making excuses and justifying your hurt, why you can't get out of bed, why you're not gonna change, you don't understand God, it's just hard. sound like a little orphan Annie. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life. Yeah, we'll just keep getting knocked around then and watch people just pass you up. But biblically, it only takes two to four years to reach a mature age in Christ. Now, you're always growing, but the the growth in Christ ought to be parabolic. You know, you get born again and just rock it, and then you start to hit an age where it just takes longer to make those gains. But really, the first two to four years, just parabolic, just... Amen. If not, somebody's not walking with Jesus. Barnabas to the local churches. Barnabas was in the ministry helps. Asterisk there because he becomes a great apostle. Barnabas faithfully served the church at Jerusalem, and then Antioch, and you have the scripture references there He was a faithful giver and errand boy. In fact, the first time we're introduced to Barnabas is in Acts four, and they're talking about how he sold a big chunk of land to support the, the apostles with. That's helps. It's financial giving. Our introduction to Barnabas, the, the son of consolation because that's what his name means, but he was always encouraging folks, was an offering. He was demonstrating a heart to help the local church. He was a faithful giver and an errand boy. He was a step and fetch it between Jerusalem and Antioch. Those were the two major churches in the first 10 years after Christ's ascension. He earned the leadership's trust. That is what's so key about the ministry of help. You have to earn the leadership's trust. And they sent him out as an, as an emissary to Antioch. It's in Antioch that he met Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He continued to run errands for the churches until the day of his ordination into full-time ministry. Now when Barnabas meets Saul, and everybody knows the story, Barnabas was so instrumental in getting Saul accepted into the local church. I remember sermons as a Baptist boy. Barnabas comes along and puts his arm around Saul and just adopts him and puts him under his wings and just makes sure, "Hey, I watched this man. He was pre was evangelizing on the Sabbath. He was confounding the Jews. He's good. I know this is the guy that tried to kill us, but I'm telling you, I've seen a change." That was Barnabas's great mission missionary contribution before he was ever a full-time minister. He was just a servant for the church at Antioch, and the Lord uses him to bind with Paul, and they become a missionary team after a few more years of ministry of help's training. Amen. He continues to run errands for the church until the day of his ordination into full-time ministry in Acts chapter 13. We're introduced to him in Acts 4 and 5. He's not a full-time minister until Acts 13. Roughly speaking, the book of Acts, each chapter is about one year. Rough, that's not, not strict, but that's roughly. Paul to the local church, Asterisk there because we know Paul becomes the great apostle Paul faithfully served at the church at Antioch Running errands for them and teaching And evangelizing without anybody's help on the Sabbath day He was always going to the synagogues to conf- uh, refute and confound He was faithful unto the day of his ordination along with Barnabas in Acts 13 First deacons These first deacons were selected for the good reputation And for being full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom They were appointed to wait tables and care for the old ladies Yet this allowed the word of God to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied. These deacons had to qualify to take care of widows. Only seven qualified. Out of a church of thousands, out of a church of 8,000, only seven qualified. Now, cool, you stu- study. if you go study early church history, uh, Nicholas becomes a cult leader of the Nicolaitans but all the other guys go on to become bishops or pastors of other churches. Nicanor, one of, them was with, one of them was believed to be the scribe of the book of Revelation. He cared for John the Revelator. He was the bishop of the church of Lydda and left the church at Lydda when he heard John was condemned to Patmos. He traveled with John. And everybody, the early historians, really believe that it wasn't Nicanor. It doesn't matter. They believe he was the one that transcribed the Revelation while John saw it and said it because John was blind at the time. Promotion, though, came out of taking care of widows. Hopefully, you're seeing the pattern again and again and again and again and again. John, Mark, to Paul and Barnabas, there's an asterisk there. When Paul and Barnabas set out on the first missionary journey, they took John, Mark, with them as their servant. This same John, Mark, went on to write the Gospel of Mark. That's a promotion. You get to use to write a gospel, all because you learn to be a faithful missionary. Luke to Paul. Luke joined himself to Paul's company. And traveled with him everywhere. In the end, Luke was the only man that never abandoned Paul and never left him. No doubt he tended to Paul's health and many injuries. He was referred to as the beloved physician. You know, having a personal physician with you when you're someone like Paul who's getting stoned by angry Jews every other week, that's a good (laughs) help. That's like you have back problems and you get to travel with a chiropractor. You're getting whipped. It's good to have a physician. You're getting beat, you get it's good to have a physician. For whatever reason, the Lord spoke to Luke, and Luke traveled with him. In fact, uh, somewhere, somewhere in the book of Acts, you see a transition in the ver- in the personal pronoun usage. And I have it in my Bible. I've marked it as the we transition. And it's up until that point, it's they, they, they. And then halfway through the chapter, it says, and we. And it's like right there is when Luke joined the company. It's so cool. It's such a subtle thing. In fact, I'll find it for you because it's just so neat to see. He goes from saying they and the apostles did this and the apostles did that and the apostles did this and the apostles did that and we. Let me find it here. It's Acts 16. I'll read read you uh, verse 7. Now listen to the pronouns. Pronouns are, of course, pronouns. You know what a pronoun is. And they were come to Mysia. They said to go into Bithynia but the spirit would not let them and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas and in a vision appeared to Paul in the night there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying come over into Macedonia and help us we got to witness to a woman from Macedonia in the Detroit airport a couple years ago there's really still a Macedonia and I said it was I said where are you from because you could tell she was foreign Macedonia there's an evangelistic door a mile wide really I knew about somebody from Macedonia once. Really? You knew someone from Macedonia? Book of Acts. What? And then you just start preaching. It was just shooting fish in a barrel. And af- Verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we, it's the first time you see that inclusive pronoun, we endeavored, and from that point on, it's we, 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 all the way home. <laughs> I crack myself up. No doubt he tended to Paul's many health issues. He was a beloved physician. He was also a scribe for Paul. He went on to write the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote some of the epistles too. He was Paul's scribe. He wrote Luke and the book of Acts. He wasn't even a gospel preacher, as in a five-fold. He wasn't an apostle. He's called a physician. But what a promotion. Phoebe to the Roman church. Phoebe is referred to as a servant of the whole church at Syncria, which is where she was from. Paul brags about her. She was also described as a, as a secure of the needs of many and of Paul himself. Now that helps ministry when you're taking care of Paul and a whole church. She had such a reputation that she's actually the one that delivers the Roman epistle. She comes from Turkey. Paul writes this epistle to Rome, and she's the one that gets to deliver it because he trusts her. If you don't prove yourself faithful to the leadership, leadership will never use you. And if leadership doesn't feel good about using you, God probably doesn't feel good about using you. So this woman gets to carry, and think about this, this is first century Palestine. Women don't have rights. And yet the gospel is entrusted to this lady. Not only that, in the end of Romans, she has a whole section of Romans 16 that's all about Here's our sister Phoebe. She's a diaconess, a deaconess of the church of Sincrea. You take care of anything she has need of. You take care of her on her business. He basically commands the whole Roman church to finance her on whatever she's doing. You you don't get that being a lazy saint. You get that because you have a reputation for the ministry of helps. Such a help, in fact that she is forever a part of the Bible record. She's the only female deacon we have listed in the entire New Testament. The house of Stephanus. 1 Corinthians 16, this household, they said, they, Paul said they had addicted themselves to serving the saints. Some folks are addicted to bed. Some folks are addicted to food. Some folks are addicted to the ministry of helps. This household addicted themselves to serving the saints so much so that Stephanus, along with Fortunatus and Achaicus, made up in an offering with the entire church of Corinth lacked. And in doing so, they refreshed Paul. Three guys, three households, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, they gave more than the whole church of Corinth. When you're addicted, you just outgive money, outgive time, outgive energy. You, you just, you're like Paul, just try to keep up with me. Hey, John the Revelator, try to keep up. Hey, Pete, try to keep up. <laughs> Last one, Epaphroditus asterisk there. Epaphroditus is called an apostle in the Greek language. Epaphroditus to Paul in the Philippian church, Epaphroditus is called a brother a fellow companion in labor, a fellow soldier, and a messenger. Its Greek, King James calls it messenger. Greek calls it apostolos. And a minister to the wants of Paul. He is called an apostle to the Philippian church. Paul said, he is your apostle. So apparently he was the overseer of the Philippian church that Paul had established. But Paul said, he, he was a minister to my wants. He was an errand boy. And in fact, the offering that the Philippians are bragged about for giving in Philippians 4, but my God shall supply all your needs for you. You gave once and again, not that that I desire a gift, but that I desire fruit to abound in your account. That offering that Paul bragged about, Epaphroditus delivered it because nobody else would. And they get rebuked for that. But in delivering it, he nearly dies because of the Philippian laziness. So their pastor has to make an errand that nearly kills him. And Paul kind of nails them for that when you read Philippians. He said, he made up for your want, having delivered unto me your offering. They were happy to give, they just weren't happy to go. <laughs> Some are happy to go, they just don't ever want to give. You got to have it both working together. He did, And the Bible says he did not regard his life for the work of Christ. What would the Philippian church done if their pastor had died en route? He got sick apparently. They would feel pretty bad. Somebody should have gone instead of the pastor. It's an example of ministry helps. Doing something that he can do, but he shouldn't be doing because he has to do something else. But he wanted; he was more committed to Paul, apparently, than even his church. And Paul committed him for it. So notice some common fruit of an active ministry of helps. Number one, burdens are relieved off of the leadership. Moses had burdens relieved. Joseph relieved burdens. Elijah had burdens removed. Jesus, because he had 12 disciples and 70 apostles on top of that, He had burdens removed. He didn't do all the work. He sent other guys out ahead of him. A a burden is relieved off of leadership, which frees them up to do more. Right now, when I work out, I wear a weight vest just, just to make me stronger. And when I take the weight vest off and work out, it should surprise you, I can run a lot faster and do a lot more of everything else, right? I think we understand the concept here. Ministry of Helps takes the weight vest off the ministry so the ministry can do more things faster. Leadership is refreshed and encouraged. Finances are increased for God's cause. How many of those did we look at that were offerings? Future leaders are raised up and trained. Let me say it again. If you're not in the Ministry of Helps, you will never be ordained of God into full-time ministry. God will not do it. You can go fake it. You can go be an illegitimate church and i pardon the expression it's a biblical expression there are many bastard churches illegitimate fatherless bastard is not a dirty word it gets used as a dirty word just like jesus christ does but bastard means fatherless many fatherless churches out there because they weren't sent out because they couldn't submit they couldn't trust god to find them and raise them up future leaders are raised up and trained and God's plan is accomplished. Without the ministry of helps, God's plan will be stunted. It will be hindered. It'll be hurt. Now, one other thing, I thought I'd written it, maybe it's in another curriculum, but one of the things, maybe it's a ministry of excellence. Let me say it now. A ministry of helps is effective when your work doesn't have to be inspected. There's always a kind of a learning curve when you're over something and you're learning how to do it. You get lots of inspection, like on your job, there's a learning curve And they give you a 90-day review period to see, make sure you're getting it. Because they don't want to keep paying you your salary if you're not getting it. But at some point, if you have to be reviewed all the time, as Dr. Barclay says, if I'm having to inspect your work or do your work for you, why do I need you? Amen. So we have to tackle this thing with excellence. Realizing that God, if he's giving it to us, he's expecting us to grow it. To hear from him for it. And to do his thing with it and then have the occasional oversight and inspection from whoever's over us. Amen. Father, I thank you for the second lesson. Bless these folks. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to study the ministry of helps and to grow in this thing. May it build many strong churches and preach your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.